1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Peter.
0: Real love is calling opens up your eyes. Mercy is with every sunrise.
2: You know, I know we should never take scripture, you know, more important or less important because it's all God's word. But there's just something about somebody who knows my death is imminent. These are the last things I want to say as I depart here that I just think are important for us to take to heart. And as he speaks here about the Lord's return, he says, listen, there's going to be scoffers. And we know this to be true today, too. There are going to be people who just simply scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again.
1: Dealing with people who scoff and who make fun of your faith in Jesus comes with the territory of being his disciple. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you the truth that Jesus had to deal with scoffers while on this earth, and so will you. If Jesus was persecuted and mocked, it's safe to assume that you will experience this at one point or another while on this earth. However, Pastor Gary explains that it's all worth it. Because your solidarity could bring a person to receive Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Second Peter chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2nd Peter chapter 2 if you were with us last week we talked about how the main theme that Peter is driving home here in this second chapter is about false teachers. He is warning the church, he's warning Christians that you have to be on your guard that not everybody who claims to be a teacher uh, is a teacher, not everybody who claims to be a prophet is a prophet. And so he gets through in chapter 1 saying that there were genuine prophets who were inspired by God to pen scripture. But he says, but likewise, wherever you have genuine prophets, you have false prophets. Wherever you have genuine teachers, you have false teachers. And all of chapter 2 is really warning us about false teachers. Now, Peter obviously was not the only one to, to warn us about false teachers. In fact, no doubt Peter learned it from our Lord, because Jesus said this in Matthew seven fifteen: beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And Peter here in chapter 2 goes through and tells us three particular things about false teachers. He says how false teachers will secretly introduce heresies. He tells us, number two, that they will also influence many people to follow them. And then he says also, number three, that they will be judged by God. So he basically says, don't worry, because at the end of the day, even though these false teachers are saying untrue things, they're misrepresenting God, they are not really... Um, teaching sound doctrine. They are leading people astray. They're drawing a great number of people after them. At the end of the day, God is the judge and he's going to take care of them just like, and he mentions this in chapter 2 between verses 4 and 11, just like God took care of Noah and his family and yet God judged the unrighteous in Noah's day and God took care of Lot and his family though God judged the unrighteous in Lot's day. So, you know, throughout time and eternity, God is going to take care of people who who do wrong and who who misrepresent him and who say false things. And so he says here, God's going to take care of these false teachers as well. So we left off at verse 12 of chapter 2. And so this is what we read, verse 12. He says, but these, still referring to false teachers, these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, underline that, we'll come back to it, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. You know, just stop there for a moment. You, you want to say to yourself, Peter, what do you really think about these guys? I mean, obviously, this is strong language here, but he's calling them out. And he says, go, go on with verse, verse 15, and he says, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. There you have that again. But he was rebuked, talking about Balaam, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness Forever. So he's he's upset and rightfully so because Peter has a pastor's heart for for the flock of God and he's and he wants to protect them from these false teachers who are going to come along and rip off believers and deceive them and entice them and, and he, you know he calls them out not just because of their bad doctrine but because of their bad behavior. You know, he refers to them as, as uh, those who, you know, they, they, um, they're full of adultery, they cannot cease from sinning, they, they entice unstable souls. So there's something very intentional here. There's something among these false teachers that they are intentionally going after people, preying on people, P-R-E-Y, preying on people, taking advantage of people. And one of the things that he points out here are the wages of unrighteousness. He uses that phrase twice in verse 13 and again in verse Fifteen. So, in other words, there's an element here of these false teachers, where they are doing what they're doing for unrighteous wages. They're trying to profit off of this. You know, they're 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 getting money off of off of all of this. And so, he's calling it wages of unrighteousness. Um, there are times that obviously we can be greedy, no matter who we are, and we need to be warned about this kind of thing. Greed greed has no place in the life of the believer. But he says it's one of the things that actually marks false teachers. They seem to be greedy for money. Now, you know, sometimes we we have a bad uh, view of some TV evangelists who seem to always be about, you know, money, 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 money. Um, And I'm not saying that everybody who's ever asked to support their ministry is evil as if that's wages of unrighteous. It's not true, but certainly a preoccupation and people, you know, fleecing the sheep and trying to take advantage of people and and uh, and telling you that, you know, if you don't if you don't give, then my my ministry is going to go under. Well, then maybe it should go under, you know, because, you know, my pastor, Chuck Smith, always said where God guides, God provides. And if you, if you see people begging for money, probably not, not a healthy thing. And so we have to guard our hearts against greed and we have to see greed. We have to be able to spot greed when we see it. People do some foolish things for greed. They do some foolish things for money. You all remember, if you're old enough now, this is going back to about 15 years ago, when Martha Stewart had to serve time in jail. Now Martha Stewart, the great, you know, cook and, and, uh, she was more than a cook. She was, she was a brilliant o- entrepreneur. Still is. I mean, she did the crime. She served her time. She's out now. And so she's, you know, an interior decorator, entrepreneur, cook, author, all kinds of things. Former model, I think she was. But you, if you remember her story 15 years ago, she was worth $1 billion 15 years ago. I don't know what her worth is now, because I think it probably took a hit after serving some time. But $1 billion. And then she had some stock, M Clone. And. I don't know all the details of what she did that was illegal and trying to she tried to sell off Mclone clone. I think she got some insider trading information. She went to jail actually for lying to federal investigators. That was the crime when she was interviewed about it. But but here she is worth one billion dollars. And she made the move to sell off some Mclone clone stock before it went under to save forty five thousand dollars. Now, let me put this in perspective. She's worth a billion dollars. She made a decision based on greed for $45,000. That would be the equivalent if you make a hundred grand of going to jail because you tried to do something in order to save $4.50. Okay? People do some crazy things for greed, and it can end up causing them to go to jail over it too. Okay? My point is, Peter's pointing this out, the wages of unrighteousness as part of a characteristic of false teachers. They're just money hungry. And he uses here as an example of a false teacher, a false prophet, Balaam in verse 15. And Balaam was that way too, because the whole story of Balaam uh, is recorded in Numbers chapters 22 to 24. So you can go back and read the story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a synopsis to the story. But it says about Balaam, here he was, this false prophet, that he demanded, what Numbers tells us, was the, the fee of divination. So Balaam was a, an interesting, curious guy, hard to figure out. But part of the thing that motivated him was a, he had a fee, the fee of divination. That if you paid him... Then he would prophesy and and divine, but in reality he was tapping into demonic things. But he had a reputation back in the day of one who, if he blessed something, it would be blessed, and if he cursed something or someone, it would be cursed. And so there's a story in Numbers 22 to 24 about Balak, who was king of Midian, and the Midianites were perennial enemies of the Israelites. Balak, king of Midian, did not see a way to really effectively defeat the Israelites. So he hires Balaam, who comes from, the Bible says, Aram, which is basically Syria. And he hires Balaam to come and to curse God's people. Balak, the king of Midian, figures if Balaam has a history of cursing people and they're cursed and blessing people and they're blessed, I'm going to pay him to curse God's people so that we, the Midianites, can defeat the Israelites. So he hires Balaam to come from Iran, to come from Syria. But God intervenes. God steps in, the story tells us, and he's going to confront Balaam because God's not going to allow this dude to go cursing God's people. And so God steps in. So here Balaam is on his way to meet Balak, king of Midian, and Balaam is riding this donkey. And as he's riding this donkey, the angel of the Lord appears and apparently Balaam can't see the angel but the donkey can see the angel and so the donkey avoids the angel and isn't moving along and so Balaam starts beating the donkey starts whipping the donkey and the donkey moves on angel appears again same thing happens on the third time The angel of the Lord stands in the middle of the path, and the donkey can't get by, and it tells us that the donkey squeezes up against, it's a narrow path, there's apparently a wall nearby, and the donkey squeezes up against the wall to try to get around the angel and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall, at which point Balaam just goes off and he just starts whipping this poor donkey. And at that moment, then God, the Bible says, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey. There's this Dr. Doolittle moment right there in the Bible where the donkey then turns around to Balaam and says, haven't I been a good donkey all these years? Why are you beating me? To which Balaam says, because you're being stubborn. Now, stop and think about that for just a moment. (laughs) Let's just say you come home after a hard day and your dog is not doing what your dog's supposed to do. And so you start beating your dog. And the dog in response says, haven't I been a good dog all these years? Why are you beating me now? And you answer your dog. (laughs) That's a problem. So it doesn't even say that Balaam is shocked. It just says he starts having a conversation. With, with the donkey. And when the donkey says, you yeah, know, haven't I been a good donkey? You know, think about it. Balaam's like, well, you know, after, after I think about it, actually you have been a pretty good donkey all these years. This guy is messed up. But anyway, he should, he should if, if he was all about greed, he should have seen at that moment, I'm going to be wealthy at the circus. I mean, take a talking donkey to the circus, make a lot of money that way. But anyway, so he's opposed. And Balaam is this false prophet that Peter compares other false prophets to. Here's a guy who loved the wages of wickedness. Here's a guy that spoke things that weren't true. In fact, when Balaam actually goes to curse the people of God, every time he opened up his mouth to curse, God put a blessing in his mouth. And it really ticked off Balak, the king of Midian. He's like, I'm paying you to curse these people and you're blessing these people. I can't, I can't help it. Every time I go to open my mouth, the Lord puts words in my mouth. Three times that happened. By the third time, Balaam is just, you know, he's opening up his mouth, ready to curse them. And and out comes blessing. Listen, listen, you ought to pray for that. Those of you who are like in rush hour traffic on your way back and forth to work down to DC and somebody cuts you off and you out of your mouth, you want to just go off on them and start cursing them. Pray, pray for that. Because can you imagine if that happens? You're like, I can't believe you You little, God bless you. You're such a wonderful person. God loves you. Where did that come from? That came from the Lord. This is what happened with Balaam. And Peter uses him as an example of a false prophet here. And so, he was rebuked, it says in verse 16, for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water. Peter's just using this analogy. These these guys are empty. They're wells without water. Uh, they, they, They can't satisfy. Clouds carried by a tempest. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness... Forever talking about judgment, so he's like, you know, they're going to get judged. They're going to they're going to see their day, and the Lord is going to deal with them. Meantime, as Christians, be in your guard against false teachers. Um, you all have the advantage of living in a generation which is the information age, and because of that, you have at your disposal. It's not always reliable, the internet, we know, but you have at your disposal resources to be able to check things out. You don't have to be a Greek scholar, or a Hebrew scholar. There's great tools and resources out there. Now, blueletterbible.org Blue is a great resource that you, you can look up scripture, you can read commentaries, you can look up the Greek, you can look up the Hebrew. You can be informed enough and equipped enough in your faith to be able to tell whether I or any other teacher is telling the truth or teaching falsehood. And we've got to be living as believers who are wise about these things and discerning about these things. Because the closer we get to the return of Christ, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that one of the signs of the end times will be false teachers and false Christs. And we can't just accept everything that everybody says. So we have to be wise and discerning. We have to know scriptures ourselves to know whether or not what we're hearing is truth or not. So be equipped in that way. Now he goes on and he says in verse 18 For when they speak, these false teachers, great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also. He is brought into bondage. For verse twenty, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now, this is interesting because you know he's talking here about it, people who are going to be deceived. Um, he says, if if they've escaped the pollutions of the world because they've come to the knowledge of the, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but then they get entangled again and overcome because these false teachers are influencing them with false things, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. In other words, it would be better never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn your backs on it. And he's going to go on then to say in verse 21, that very thing, for it would... It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Do you see that? So, you know, in a sense, what God is saying here is that he has, and, and I'm not sure I understand all this, okay, so I don't know if I can adequately explain it, but just at face value, what this passage is saying here is that God has more grace for ignorance than for disobedience. There is some measure of God's grace for those who have never known than for those who have known and turned their backs on it. There's more grace for ignorance than for disobedience. Now, ignorance still may not be an excuse in fact, all, you, know, you look at the first few chapters of the book of Romans and it talks about how God has made himself evident in uh, creation, commandments, and conscience so that men are without excuse. So all I'm saying is that when he says here, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them that there seems to be greater grace for ignorance than for disobedience. And he says in verse 22, but it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. We know that to be true, right? If you've ever had a dog, you know how that works. I guess it's better the second time around. I don't know. I don't understand that, but every dog does it. And, and it's the nature of a dog to return to its vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So basically what he's saying here is the appetite is determined by the nature. You know, a a dog's appetite is determined by its nature. A dog does what a dog does. A a sow or a a pig does what a pig does. It, It returns to the mud. It's their nature. They have an appetite for this thing because it's their nature. So he says, you know, for people who are not born again, they're going to do things that are, you know, the appetites of their nature. For us who are born again, who know Christ is our Savior, we have been given a new nature. And with that new nature come new appetites. So don't return to the old ways. You have a new nature that Christ has given you, so don't live like a dog, don't live like a pig, don't go back to the old ways. You have a new nature given by the Lord, so walk in that and live for His glory. Chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that's a euphemism for death, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, just pause there for a moment. He's going to transition now away from primarily talking about false teachers and false prophets to talking about what's going to happen as we get closer to the return of Christ. And he wants to leave this as his parting hope for the church, because remember, uh, Peter's going to be martyred shortly after he writes this epistle. He's living in one of the most dangerous times in Christian history, 64 to 67 A.D., when Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians, killing them, martyring them, and Peter is going to uh, lose his life in just another year or two after he writes his epistle, so it was parting words. I want you to think—you know, it's like the it's like the final counsels of a dying man. You know, if you knew that you were near death, and Peter does, because he he alludes to the fact that he knows death is imminent. I mean, we know that intellectually, but he knows this—you know—spiritually as well if you knew that that your death was imminent, what would be some of the most important things you would want to impart to people that you love? Some of the things that you would want to say to them. So I always consider, you know, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, that was his final counsel of a dying man. When Peter here writes 2 Peter, these are his final counsels of a dying man. And I, you know, I know we should never take Scripture you know, more important or less important because it's all God's word. But there's just something about somebody who knows my death is imminent. These are the last things I, I want to say as I depart here that I just think are important for us to take to heart. And as he speaks here about the Lord's return, he says, listen, there's going to be scoffers. And we know this to be true today, too. there are going to be people who just simply scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again.
1: Find the cornerstone's your connection Run towards your new life You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick Pastor Gary opened up the book of 2 Peter for us today When it comes to life in Christ who better to teach us than the disciple Peter We can all relate to Peter at one time or another He was very human and yet God used him in mighty ways In 2 Peter 1, 5-8 Peter shows us how to be effective and fruitful. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These verses are so packed with wisdom, they're worth remembering. Those verses were 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, if you want to revisit them. And if you want to revisit today's message, head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find archived messages and a link to our mobile app there. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss a message from Pastor Gary. Well, we're coming to the end of our time for today. We will be back, and we hope you come back, too, with the next Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul.
2: That you've got no place to go. But still you know. But still you know. You're not alone.